This episode of the Protagonist Podcast is brought to you by the generous support of Kay and Joseph, Alex, Jared, and Tessa. Thank you. If you would like to support a future episode of the Protagonist Podcast, please go to protagonistpodcast.com and click on the support button. All right, Joseph, um, is your computer, like, worth it right now, or should we just switch to math? Shut that puppy down. Because also its fan is going nuts. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Todd Mack, here with Joseph Dorowski, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. This week we're looking at Vladek from Mouse, a graphic novel written between 1973 and 1986 by Art Spiegelman. You may have noticed that was a fairly wide range on the dates. Um, This was serialized in a magazine called Raw before it was collected into a book form. And when it was collected into book form, it was very well received. Uh, it was nominated for the National Book Critics Circle Award. It uh, won a whole slew of awards, uh, including most uh, notably the Pulitzer Prize, as well as an Eisner Award and a Harvey Award. And it's been nominated and won several other awards as well. So, uh, Joseph, how did you come to uh, know about and read Mouse? In studying comic books, there's kind of an established canon of things that always get mentioned as like the most reputable or respectable of the comic books or graphic novels, and this is one that is always at the top of the list. And so I was kind of aware of it for a couple years before I actually sat down and and read it. Um, I'm actually excited because I'm going to be able to assign part of this to my students this semester in college because it's it's uh, actually included, one of the chapters from this is included in the Norton Anthology of American Literature now. Oh, cool. So I did not, I was like flipping through, double checking, like what readings I was going to sign. And I saw that was in there and I, I didn't know there was, uh, it, it was in the, uh, it wasn't in the Norton anthology in the earlier volumes. I think it's a recent edition. That's awesome. So you read this for the first time in college. Uh, it, w- it was when I was in college. It wasn't for a college assignment. It was just because I was, you know, I'd heard, I kept seeing the name mouse mentioned for really good graphic novels. Yeah. Like why I, why I read, uh, Watchmen. Yes. Uh, that is what one of the other part of the established canon yeah. <laughs> comics and graphic novels. If you believe in a canon, if you believe in, do you believe in canons? Uh, maybe that's a discussion for another day. Um, yes. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time in uh, during my PhD program working on memory and trauma, and especially um, as it relates to uh, Holocaust and. Uh, well, the Spanish Civil War, I was focusing on Spanish Civil War, but um, there's a lot of really great uh, philosophy and criticism surrounding um, the Spanish Civil War. The, the, all, the, all the stuff that, that people say about the Spanish Civil War sort of bleeds into um, Holocaust and World War II stuff, and it's often hard to uh, draw lines between those two. And so I, I, found, I found myself, as I was studying the Spanish Civil War, also uh, studying the Holocaust. And um, and Mouse uh, would come up in discussions of things, and I would think, oh, those crazy graphic novel people. Don't even... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it's always sort of been there in the back of my mind. Um, and I knew I knew more about Mouse. I was sort of I, I was pretty aware of of what it was, what the story was. Um, I knew about the different. So it, it, this is a story about the Holocaust. Um, and it's it's drawn so the Jews are drawn as mice, the Nazis are drawn as cats, 
and the Polish not uh, not Jews Gentiles <laughs> uh, are drawn as pigs, and um, and I remember that uh, I also read about Mouse when I read I was reading about a Spanish uh, graphic novel called Black Sad uh, that also is drawn in a really different style, but also has uh, anthropomorphized anthropomorphized uh, yeah. Yeah. animals. And the animals are symbolic. So there's cats. All the do- all the police officers are um, bloodhounds and German shepherds, and the uh, the criminals are all reptiles. And as I was reading about that, um, I, they were saying, "Oh, it's it's just what they did in Mouse." And I thought I should read this Mouse thing. And so then I did today because I knew we were going to record this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, I read it, but I'd been hearing about it for so long before I read it. Like I, it was just something you that kind of feel like in, you know it. In the discussion. I, I think I think it's an interesting thing about graphic novels that you uh, you uh, I don't know. There's something about them that's where. Uh, a, I don't think that people are as spoiler sensitive with graphic novels and comics as they are with other genres. Do you feel that? Like everybody knows what happens to um, what's her name that I just totally blanked, <laughs> Gwen Stacy. Right? It's like oh, there's right, no yeah. way to keep that a secret. Even though I've never read that comic, yeah. I know exactly what happens in that in that famous Spider-Man comic. I thought you were going to say everyone knows what happens to Krypton, but <laughs> you <went. laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I, and I, I can't remember where I was reading or listening to something, and they were saying like it seems like in the in the comic world, graphic novel world, uh, that spoilers aren't uh, held as um, taboo like they are in other genres. I don't know if that's true, but I felt like I was really familiar with Mouse. I knew exactly what to expect, and I was really not surprised by very much when I read this. Mm-hmm. Um, like I felt like I'd, I like I'd read it. I mean, I've read so much about it that I kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, and I had a similar experience because I'd seen it in a lot of articles and other things that were you know just talking about quality comic books and graphic novels. And so I, I'd read plot synopses and I'd read about the artistic conceit that you already mentioned. Uh, I think it does still uh, do some really interesting things when you're reading it, even when you are aware of what's coming. Yeah, you definitely there's some uh, gut punches. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it bears some similarity to a lot of the other sort of Holocaust. Uh, I don't want to know. I don't know if, if genre is the right term, but Holocaust genre literature, like night by Ellie Wiesel or diary of Anne Frank or, mm-hmm. um, or a number of films that you might've seen yeah, fits really like, well. They, they have a tone that they all feel very similar in that tone. They feel familiar to each other. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely, it, it fits really well in that, uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know that genre is the right word, but uh, I edited an essay collection called The Age of the X Men, and there was one essay in there that dealt with the character of Magneto as a Holocaust survivor, and the author of that essay uh, referred to um, the Holocaust as Shoah, and and so any Holocaust literature or story and survivor stories were called Shoah or post Shoah uh, literature within the Hebrew tradition uh, or Jewish tradition. Uh, Shoah is um, it looks like the the Hebrew term for the Holocaust, and that's uh, how it how it's referred to. So I think instead of Holocaust genre, maybe Shoah literature. Sure. Alrighty, so uh, I'll give a quick spoiler-free synopsis of this. So as we said, um, this is a graphic novel. Uh, It comes in two big uh, volumes. I mean, big. We're talking about 160 pages per. And it's a story. So this is... We are only covering volume one in this We're covering volume one. Uh, And this is 
uh, autobiographical, semi-autobiographical, or we could, would we could just call it autobiographical? I think we say? can call it autobiographical. Okay, so this is autobiographical. Um, Art Spiegelman is the author. Uh, his parents were Holocaust survivors, and he um, he would go to his father's house and interview him about his experiences um, during, uh, just before and during the war, uh, and then uh, his dad was in Auschwitz. Uh, so there's sort of two frames in the story, and one is uh, Art talking to his dad, and the other is this flashback to his dad's uh, story of what happened to them. And as we said before, the all of the characters are drawn as mice. The Jews are drawn as mice. The Nazis are drawn as cats. And the non-Jewish Poles, because they're from Poland, uh, are drawn, drawn as pigs. And um, it's drawn in a really sort of simple black and white, kind of stark uh, style. Um, but it's just a really kind of sweetly told story, uh, both about this this writer and his relationship with with his father and his father's relationship with his uh, second wife. Uh, and then also this story of just survival in the face of uh, horror during uh, during the Second World War. And so if that sounds interesting to you, uh, we'll have uh, links in our show notes. You can go to Amazon and pick this up. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a really powerful um, read. And uh, so that's my spoiler-free synopsis. All right. And I will now give a much more in-depth uh, version of that. So this is your last chance to bail out if you don't want to hear everything that happens. All right, so it begins with a prologue in which a young Artie is playing with his friends, and he, he falls down and scrapes his knees, and his friends are, are roller skating, and they roller skate away. And Artie goes back home, and he's kind of whining to his dad, and his dad says, what happens? And Artie just says, I fell, and my friends skated away. And his dad yells, friends, your friends, if you lock them in a room together with no food for a week, then you could see what it is, friends. And maybe that's a little foreshadowing of something to come. That's the end of the prologue. Yeah, I just thought, uh, I just wanted to say, sorry, now I'm adding to the time for your synopsis, but as much as, as much as I just said that this story had few kind of surprises for me, I felt like I knew what I was getting, and in the end I felt like I got what I expected I was going to get out of the story. Um, this was one of those moments where I thought, okay, this is, there's something going on here. It feels um, real and authentic and... I don't know. Just it, it yeah. caught my attention, sort of perked my my ear, sort of perked up at this point, and I thought, okay, I think this guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> Which is, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did win the Pulitzer for it. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we will definitely have more depth discussion on these characters. But the, there's just something that's so real, like you want to almost go and talk to these people, and you feel like you could go and talk to these people. I think the uh, the thing, uh, um, the way that he captures his father's voice is stunning to me. I mean, I can hear this man's voice in my head and I feel like, like you said, like I could, I could walk into a room and I would, I would know exactly which, which one he was <laughs> mm-hmm. in the room. Like I can just, I can hear this voice. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, a, that's a really, not every single writer is able to capture a voice and, um, especially like, when you're dealing with accent and trying to trying to capture uh, nuances and idiosyncrasies in the way that somebody speaks, especially a second language, and I think that he pulls it off like majestically. It's really beautiful. Yes. Yeah, there's. I mean, I'm not gonna be pulling out a whole lot of direct quotes, but the the way the sentences are structured, you can tell this is good English, but it it has 
um, a structure that just feels a, a little bit foreign uh, yeah. because it is a second language that's happening. Continue. All right. Chapter one is called The Sheik, and Art visits his father, and Andrew, uh, our producer Andrew, lived in Poland for a couple of years, so he's going to help us with some of these pronunciations. So let's get the accurate pronunciation of his father's name. So his father's name would be Vladek. All right. Like V-W-A-D. Yes, it's spelled V-L-A, but it's we should pronounce it as a V-W. So Art visits his father, Vladek, and notes that his mother's suicide, various heart attacks, and an unhappy remarriage are not treating him very well. Uh, Art convinces his dad to tell him the story of his life, and Vladek starts his story as he is a young, sing- young single man, and he says that he was, <laughs> he was very handsome. He had lots of admirers in a city that is called Częstochowa. Częstochowa in Poland. Uh, and he's dating a beautiful woman whose name is Lucia. But on a trip to visit his parents, Vladek is introduced to Anna? Is that Anya. 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 Anya uh, who is actually Art's mother. And Anya and Vladek uh, strike up a long distance relationship. They call each other uh, daily. Uh, but all this time, Vladek is still seeing uh, Lucia. Um, but eventually, uh, uh, Vladek breaks up with Lucia, but she does not take it well, <laughs> very well at all. Um, and when Vladek uh, goes back and visits Anya's home, which is incredibly impressive, Anya's family is very, very wealthy. Um, they um, they soon become engaged, uh, Vladek and Anya. But then Lucia sends a letter to Anya telling her that Vladek has a terrible reputation back home, and Anya is just distraught and uh, falls into kind of a, a depression. But Vladek is able to convince her that uh, Lucia, who wrote the letter, is just a jealous ex. Um, and then Vladek and Anya are married, and then in the present day, Vladek asks Art to leave out all of that personal stuff. <laughs> if he ever writes this down as a story, he says, leave all that out, because it has nothing to do with Hitler and the Holocaust, um, which is what how Vladek sees the only story that's worth being told here is about Hitler and the Holocaust. But Art, and Art tells him, yeah, I'll leave all that out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, none of this, none of this is yes. going to end up in the book. Yeah, and I guess I should note that there's um, a lot of really interesting things that happen uh, within the storytelling t- because we have this frame device where Vladek will start saying something and then he'll like he'll do that. Oh no, wait, I forgot to tell you this other important thing. And so, so I'm streamlining some for this summary, but when you read it, it feels like you're sitting there and being told a story by someone who hasn't really prepared everything. It's kind of slipping in and out of the timeline. Like, oh, you need to know this thing that I forgot about before. Yeah, he'll go. They'll like go, and the dad will hop on the exercise bike, and he's like riding on the exercise bike while he's telling the story. It's so <laughs> yes, and they're. And they're drawn as mice. Yes. Yeah. Or uh, the the next chapter starts with the dad is sorting his pills because he has had had various <laughs> heart problems, and they he keeps spilling them and mixing them up and restarting the count while yeah. he's telling the story. Uh, chapter two is called the honeymoon, and Art is back to hear more of Vladek's story. And Vladek says that Art's mother had dated a communist uh, before and was almost arrested for translating communist documents into German, but she's able to hide the documents with a lady uh, down the street or, or down the hall. And that lady gets arrested, but then is released because they can't find enough evidence to, to show that she was actually a communist. Um, after Vladek and Anya get married, Anya's dad buys a factory for Vladek to manage. Again, Anya's family was very, very wealthy. Uh, they have a son named, I, I'm i going to guess this is pronounced Rishau. It's R-I-C-H-I-E-U. That's that's not a Polish one. Okay. Anya, um, though, suffers from postpartum depression, and Vladek uh, accompanies her to a sanatorium where she recovers. And while they're traveling there, they go through Czechoslovakia, and they see a swashka for the first time. And when they return from the sanatorium, uh, they find out that their factory was robbed, but Anya's dad helps to replace everything. And uh, But then uh, at the end of this honeymoon period, Vladek is... Uh, or Vlad- I've lost Vladek. it. Vladek. Vladek is drafted uh, into the Polish army. 
And chapter three is called Prisoner of War. So you can anticipate how this goes for him. <laughs> uh, Vladek uh, tells how his brother avoided the draft by pulling out his own teeth because there were rules about he- how healthy your body had to be. But Vladek is not willing to do that. <laughs> he can't do it to himself. Uh, so he's soon a member of the Polish army and is in battle. And at first, he's in a battle and there's the shooting all around and he just sits there and like doesn't know what to do. And an officer comes and says, shoot the enemy. <laughs> like Start firing your gun. He's, I think he says, why is your gun cold? You haven't been firing it. And uh, Vladek doesn't know what to shoot at. He can't really see anything. And then he notices that there's a tree moving on the other side. And he realizes it's an enemy that has disguised himself. And he shoots at the tree many times to make sure that uh, the enemy soldier dies. But then the Nazis win the battle. And they take Vladek, a prisoner of war. And as a POW, the Jews are treated much worse than the Polish prisoners. But Vladek has a dream from his grandfather telling him that he'll be released on a day that is called uh, Parshas Truma, uh, which is a specific uh, week during the year for, for doing a particular reading. And this week is very special to uh, Vladek because it's the same time of year when he had married Anya and also later on when, when Art will be born. And he is, in fact, released on that day. Uh, but it is only through the intervention of some bribes uh, from some influential Jews that the entire group of POW Jewish prisoners aren't shot by the Nazis. Uh, they say that that happened to the last group that came through uh, the station where they're being released, is that they were all taken into the forest and shot. But uh, because of this intervention, uh, Vladek is able to uh, make his way home. I feel like this chapter. I feel like this chapter is really interesting because um, it sets up this this thing that happens with a lot of this show literature uh which is the totally r- random aspect of the horror of the holocaust and and the war in general um and that and this kind of sickening irony so at first he gets in trouble because his rifle's cold and his 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 superior comes along and says your rifle's cold you need to start firing it and he's like well okay and then <laughs> He, and then he, he's, so he points at this tree and starts shooting. And then when he gets captured, the Nazi guy comes over to him and says, your rifle's hot. You've been firing this gun. And you're like, oh man, it just, it's, it's the sickening sort of random nature of the horror of this thing. And in, it's a, it's a motif that shows up over and over and over again throughout this story and really throughout a, a lot of the of the literature surrounding the holocaust and it just it's part of what makes it so like gripping but also just really hard to read <laughs> at the same at the same time anyway all right uh chapter 4 is called the noose titans and in this um Va- I've completely lost the name, Andrew. One Vladek. More Vladek. <laughs> he now lives with his in-laws and a lot of the extended family. Jews are being displaced from their homes. Um, his in-laws' home was very large, and so lots of the extended family are now living there. His father-in-law's factory, though, has been taken over by Germans, and Vladek has to trade goods on the black market to be able to get money to, to get food for the family. Uh, soon the family's moved uh, to the ghetto, and some friends of the family are ca- caught uh, using this black market, and they are hanged, and their bodies are left on display as a warning for everyone. Vladek, at this point, he mentions that Anya is writing in, in some diaries um, to during this time, and Art, like, this is in the present day part, Art immediately wants to see these diaries. He's like, my mom was writing, I, I need to see what she wrote, and Vladek says, no, it, you know, she, those were all lost. She wrote, again, when we were here in America, she wrote some of her memories down, but uh, I don't even know where those are, and Art is now desperate to try and find these. 
Uh, but Vladek is kind of just trying to push it away, say we'll look for them later. Soon, uh, going back to uh, Vladek's story, elderly Jews are being shipped off, and they're hearing horror stories about what is happening to them. And it's uh, ordered that all the Jews must go and register at a stadium in the city, and healthy working-age Jews are sent to the right side, and all the others are sent to the left. Vladek and his family, uh, including his father, uh, they're all sent off to the right side, but Vladek's sister and her four young children are sent to the left side of the stadium, and Vladek's father jumps over the fence to be with his daughter and grandchildren on the other side, on the left side, and Vladek never saw any of them again. He's, uh, he, he knows what happens happened to them, but he doesn't know for sure how or when it happened. Like He knows, he knows they all were killed, but he doesn't know exactly how. Uh, and that was chapter four in chapter five, which is called, uh, mouse holes. Can uh, I say, can art- I say one thing about chapter four? Sure. I think, um, the, the scene when these people are hung or hanged. Yes. Um, and the bodies are left hanging for a week. I think mm-hmm. it's the first example in the book, if I'm not mistaken of, uh, like real violence where we see sort of the violence on the page. Right. I'd have to double check when he's when he's in the military and he does the shooting. Do we see? I think you just see a tree. Yeah, you just see a tree. It's very it's it's very tame. Yeah. And I think one of the things. So I said earlier that the there's some gut punches in this book, and I think mm-hmm. that part of that has to do with the way that he handles violence, which um, is almost always left off the page. Uh, and then every once in a while he'll just drop an image on um, that gets sort of seared in your mind. Like it, I, anyway, I, I think that the it's he uses the he gets a lot of uh, mileage out of the the few sort of violent images that he puts on the page. In right. part if, because there are so few of them. Yes, it. Uh it definitely adds to the impact because you can become numb or it can become droning uh, if it's all the same level of, of violence that's shown on the page. But because it's so infrequent when it is there, it really uh, it is impactful for the reader. Uh, chapter five is called Mouse Holes. And this one starts uh, with like Art getting a phone call from his dad uh, saying, or, or from his from his stepmother saying, "You, you, sh- your your dad's been crazy. He's been up on the roof trying to fix uh, a leaky uh, pipe, and <laughs> and you you need to come help him." And uh, Art kind of talks him down and says, "I'll get I'll get there on the weekend." And then when he actually is able to go visit his dad, he, his dad is acting strange and distant, and he's not sure if it's all about this leaky pipe thing. And then he finds out that. His dad has read one of Art Spiegelman's earlier comic books, and, and they insert an actual copy of one of Spiegelman's earlier comic books. Again, this is autobiographical, and it seems like this moment actually happened. And it's kind of an avant-garde experimental comic book, but it is called Prisoner on the Hell Planet, A Case History, and it's about Art Spiegelman's experience when his mother committed suicide. Okay, that part totally surprised me. <laughs> I was not yes, expecting it, that. It, it, it is a very different artistic style. Like they insert the original comic that he would have published years before right. when he was working on Mouse, and it's a very different artistic style. And it's completely autobiographical, and it's raw and emotional, and it's about how uh, he felt. Um, I, I guess I mean there's so many emotions that are packed in this. I don't know how to do a quick description. Of it. It's only like three or four pages long. But there's just so much within there about his his reactions and how he felt following his mother's suicide, and that his father's reaction to it. Right. How is that? Uh, yeah, it's really powerful. And his father had never read this comic book; it had been published years before. And 
Art is at first worried that his dad's going to be angry that, you know, he told the story, but instead it seems his dad is mostly just sad because he's thinking about his, his first wife again. Yeah. And then they, they go on a walk to continue the, uh, the story, Vladek's story. And, um, they mention that (laughs) this is one of those that has some, some of the horrifying imagery that you said. Um, they have sent their son, Rishao to be in another city where they hope that the Nazis won't have as much influence and that he'll be able to be safe. But, uh, they, they find out, and I, again, it's not hundred percent clear in the narrative. Like this happened at this moment in the narrative, but it's not clear when, uh, Vladek would have found this out, but he, he tells it here that, um, the Nazis were going through and taking all the Jewish children in that city. And, um, there's one image where you see uh, one of the cat uh, Nazi soldiers swinging a Jewish child by the leg, and you it's you don't see the violence, but you know this child was just swung into a wall and killed. Um, and it's really horrifying to see that. Uh, but the caretaker for Rishau and some other Jewish children poisons them instead of letting them be taken by the Nazis. She's been carrying poison around her neck uh, for this entire time, just waiting for the day when that would be a better out than whatever they would experience at the hands of the Nazis. And, uh, Vladek and his family are hiding. Uh, he draws a little diagram of how they hide, uh, underneath a coal bin with a fake, uh, a, a fake room underneath of it. And so that the Nazis can come even with, with dogs that are sniffing, but it's been hidden so well that the Nazis don't know why the dogs are reacting the way they are. So they hide there for a while they move off to hide now in a, in an attic in another room. And there's a, a brief story, which feels so heart wrenching, uh, but it's just told so matter of factly and briefly that, uh, while they're hiding up there, uh, another man, another Jew comes by and they say, it's a stranger. We, we can't trust him. And he, he explains, no, I'm just searching. I'm trying to find, I'm searching every room I can get into looking for food. I did not know there was anyone up here. Don't worry. I won't tell anyone about you. And there's like two panels of discussion where some of the, the Jews that were already hiding in this room say, he's lying. We can't let him go. And others say, look, he's just like us. We got to let him go. And so they give him some food for his family and let send him go. And then the next panel is him bringing the, the, uh, the Gestapo to know, uh, to reveal where all these Jews were hidden in the attic. So after the Gestapo takes them they're they're taken to another ghetto. Uh, they're forced to work in a factory. Some of the other Jews are taking advantage of the Jews. So, so, uh, Vladek and his family have, have like smuggled in some, some money and they're offering money to some, uh, Jews to get them into better situations. And they're willing to take the money, but they don't actually do anything to help them. There's even another Jew who bakes a cake and everyone's so excited to see cake because they haven't seen cake in years. And he, he charges these exorbitant prices to everyone to try and get a piece of this cake. And everyone who eats the cake gets violently ill because he had mistaken, uh, when he was scrounging up the ingredients to make this cake, he'd mistaken some laundry detergent for sugar and, and baked it into the cake. Um, but there is, uh, they're working in a, in a shoe factory and one of the other Jews has made a tunnel where they can hide when everyone else is being cleared out and is being taken. They know to Auschwitz, uh, some of them are able to hide in a room in the shoe factory and they they ride out, uh, the rest of the, um, the time until the Nazis have cleared out all, all the Jews. And then, uh, we cut back to the present day where, uh, Vladek is taking art to, uh, to a bank and he's showing him like some of the valuables that he has that he wants to make sure that art gets and not his, his new wife. And that is chapter five. So as I was reading chapter five, I was thinking about, um, when, when this, the little boy Rishi is, is poisoned by the woman who's taking care of him so that he won't fall into Nazi hands. 
it reminded me of uh, when I was in Spain doing research for my dissertation. I was talking to people about their experiences during the Spanish Civil War, and I was talking to a lady, and her mother would tell her stories about um, the, the enemy soldiers. would uh, They burned down a church in front of uh, their house, and the heat from the church, it was so hot uh, that the, their front door was, like, expanding <laughs> with the heat I mean they could feel the heat inside of their house from this burning church and the mom told the girls um, if anybody walks in this house I just want you to know that I'm going to kill all of you uh, because I won't let my daughters fall into the hands of these soldiers and uh, thankfully nobody came in the house but um, anyway it's uh, it was just a this powerful reminder of just I don't know. I mean, it's so hard, so hard for us to imagine what any of this could be like. Right. Yeah. It's so that kind of horror and, and fear that would drive parents to, or or caretakers of children to make those decisions and, and feel like this is the best alternative. Like it's so removed from our experiences that, it really, I, I think that's part of the value of reading these stories though, is to understand the, the inhumanity that has repeatedly happened and, uh, to kind of carry a, a warning of, of what has people have been capable of doing. Yeah. And if, if not to understand, at least to have a sense of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. I don't know if under, understand is, I don't know that there's any ever any way that you or I will be able to like really understand this, but we, but I think that we can have a sense of it and, and like, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, continue. Feel, You're doing a fantastic like, job. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like the word recognize is a good word to use. Right. Um, that you can recognize that it happens. Yeah. All right. So chapter six is called Mousetrap. Uh, this is the last chapter of this volume. And it starts with Mala is being very upset. And there's some uh, discussion between Art and, and Mala, who is, again, Va- uh, Vladek's uh, new wife, about how cheap he is and um, the... The, the unhappy marriage that they have. And it just starts to get at, um, art is really trying to understand his father and just says, there's, there's so much about him that, um, I, I don't quite, I don't quite know what to do with, um, in the way he is and the way he acts. And it goes back to, uh, when they're, when they're telling their story that they've, so they, they were hidden in this room in the, in the shoe factory. And when they think it's safe, they go out and they make their way to another city where they, they bounce back and forth, hiding in a few different spots, um, in a barn, uh, in an attic. Uh, whenever they, when they go out, it's this interesting artistic choice where they, to make clear that the, all the Jews are mice. And, but when they're trying to present themselves as being just Polish, they have, uh, pig masks on with like little string tied behind the back of their head. <laughs> um, which is, it's just an interesting moment whenever that happens. Uh, so they're in the city and they bounce through a couple different, um, hiding spots. And then they, they think what is going to be their hope is to be smuggled out of Poland and into Hungary. And they make these deals with these smugglers to, to take them out. Again, this is after a few, uh, months, I, it feels like in the, in this village. And when they're on the train going, they realize that the smugglers have sold them out to the Gestapo and every Jew that was on the train trying to be smuggled out is now taken. Uh, and the, the chapter ends with them being taken to, to Auschwitz. And, and that's where they're heading. And then, though, in the present day, we get this other heart-rending moment where uh, Vladek says, you keep looking for your mother's journals that she wrote after we came to America. 
I just need to know that in a moment where I, I couldn't handle everything that was around me after, after her suicide, I burned them, uh, and, and they're gone. And Art, um, just is furious and he calls his dad a murderer and, you know, how can you do this? You know, that was going to be my only, you know, do you remember anything that it said? And let me find the quote real quick. Um, they said, the only thing I remember is that, uh, one of the lines was, I wish my son, when he grows up, he will be interested by this, <laughs> which makes it all the more painful for art wow. that these things are now gone. And he leaves, uh, calling his dad a murderer and just muttering that while he walks off into the distance. And that's where this volume ends with in the past, uh, the family's entering Auschwitz and in the present, there's been this rift that's, uh, developed between art and, uh, Vladek. So, and I have a couple of thoughts about this chapter, uh, Thought number one uh, is, again, this just sickening irony is that Vladek's whole goal is to get out of this house that they're staying in because he feels like it isn't safe. And he wants to get to Hungary, and so he risks everything. And Anya says, no, we should just stay here. Uh, It's crazy for us to try to leave when we're relatively safe here. And he... um, essentially forces her to leave when he once he feels like it's safe um and they give a friend of theirs who is in a worse hiding place he's like hiding in a garbage pile basically um and they let him go into this this woman's house um and be safe there and he rides out the whole war uh in that in that house where they were if they had just stayed there but they didn't so and it's again it's like I don't know. Like truth is stranger and scarier than fiction. It's uh, really, really heart wrenching. Um, and then earlier in the chapter, there's this awesome uh, scene where uh, it's this conversation between Art and his dad and Mala, his dad's um, second wife, and it's just funny. Uh, and and then at the very end. Art says, I gotta go get a pencil. I've gotta write this conversation down before I get it. And you know, I mean, you get the sense that this actually happened exactly like it was. Right. I think the conversation is the dad says, like, oh, you, with your cartoon, you're gonna be as famous as that, as that big one. <laughs> it's like the, the big famous you cartoon. Mean, uh, you mean Walt Disney? It's just like, yes, you're gonna be as big as Walt Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what, what's happening is Art has brought some of the, some of the things. So he says, here, dad, I've, I've drawn some of, some of these, some of the book that I'm writing, which is the book that we're reading right now. So there's this cool kind of meta thing going on with framing, uh, where now they're reading inside of the book, they're reading the book that we're reading right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and his dad, it says, I'm so interested. This is, I don't ever read comics and I'm really interested in this in the story that you're that you're writing and then he says yeah you're gonna be like that big shot cartoonist you know uh like walt disney yeah yeah walt disney and then art says i have got to go and write this down and then he does and it makes it into his into his the next you know uh, a future chapter of yeah, yeah and, uh, this, uh, the way this memoir is structured or this biographical story is structured there's so many interesting moments to like uh, like that because uh, i mean you're reading these depictions of mice and and cats and things but the characters certainly feel real. And you know, this is based on real conversations that uh, Spiegelman had with his father and is based on his father's real experience. But then even within it, the, you know, you get those moments where he gets confused in the narrative and can't remember what comes first. And right. so you have this acknowledgement of an unreliable narrator, even as you're reading what is being presented as biographical. So there's, there's a lot of interesting layers for a reader to t- kind of digest. Uh, and the, the, the last thing that, that 
interested me about this last chapter is that at the very end when he gets so angry at his dad, um, we get really the first kind of profanity in this work. Um, And in a lot of, I think, I think the word that I'm looking for is cachet. Like he gets a lot out of those images that we had talked about before because there are so few of them. Right, uh, the, the, the mice the, that were hanging in the, the child. And the child, was, right. That was thrown against a wall. And um, and I feel like he gets a lot of mileage out of this. I mean, it, it uh, expresses, it does a, f- a fantastic job of expressing the his anger and frustration at his dad at the end. Um, and the fact that this book isn't riddled with profanity and violent images makes those few moments uh, really stand out. And I just think um, artistically... Uh, they're interesting choices, but I, I, I think they pay off for him. I mean, I'll, I've said it before. I'll probably say it again. He did win a Pulitzer for this. So. <laughs> I mean, this is... And, and it is the only graphic narrative that is in a Norton anthology of American literature. Right. I mean, this is this is probably the... Uh, I don't know. It, yeah. <laughs> I, I would not be alone in saying this is this is the best comic graphic novel written ever. <laughs> yeah. Um and it, it is it's one that always gets mentioned in that discussion. Whenever anyone's right. like trying to rank what stands out in this art form, this one is there. Well it might be worth saying for the Pulitzer, it's not a standard award they gave. It was a special honoree right. from the Pulitzer. <laughs> because they had no way to honor comic books. It didn't fit any of the categories. Right. But they said this one needs to be honored. Yeah, and I think that it's uh, I think that in part it has to do with the subject matter. I think that in part it probably has to do with the contrast of um, the subject matter and the and the medium. Uh, but I think that it also just has to do that it, as a piece of Showa literature, it stands with the best of any of them. It stands with Lonsman's Showa documentary. It stands with Life is Beautiful. It stands with any of these other works that we would say, these are Diary of Anne Frank, it stands, it, it's a powerful piece of art. Yeah, and you mentioned the, I mean, the art form, so the, that it's a graphic novel compared to the subject matter, but also the 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 cartooniness of it, you know, that these are, are mice and cats and all these other things. There's a quote on the back of this volume uh, in a review from Newsweek that says, Mouse compels us to bear witness in a different way. The very artificiality of its surface makes it possible to imagine the reality beneath. And I think seeing the this kind of uh, simple and, and in a lot of ways, very clean line drawings, mm-hmm. and then when we, especially when we get those moments of brutality, it, it, it does something different to a reader, I think, than seeing a filmed version of uh, of the Holocaust or some of the yeah. you know, the other the other media. The way that these things are are, um, are displayed for for audience consumption. Yeah, I think I don't know. I, I think back on um, my I have I have had a few moments in my life where I feel like I have come sort of face to face with the Holocaust as as. In as much as that is possible for you know a kid from Utah that was born in 1981, <laughs> but like w- when I graduated from high school, I did a senior trip. We went to Washington D.C. and we went to the Holocaust Museum. And there's like a before and after in my life of that experience. Uh, it was powerful and like reverent and uh, life changing. Um, and there's something about a certain way of approaching the Holocaust that will do that 
Um, watching Schindler's List for me was another experience like that. Like I will, I will never forget it. Um, and this kind of ranks reading this today kind of ranks up there. It's, it will always be on my mind when I think of, uh, of the Holocaust and, um, and, and it's just these really basic, almost, almost childish looking drawings of little mice. Um, and there's something really powerful in it. I was going to say, when you see the other example of Spiegelman's art, which is you know contained within it, right? you see that he has a really wide range. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and he's made this very deliberate choice to kind of simplify things in this, uh, in this this for this particular story. Yeah. Scott McCloud in Understanding Comics does, I think, a whole chapter kind of about the power of icon mm-hmm. images and, and how that can work. And he deals with the fact that in a way, the more reduced an image is in its um, refinement, in it, like the more simple it is, the more universal right. it is, um, the more it identifies to the reader as their self. Mm-hmm. So a stick figure is every person ever. Right. So when you see a stick figure, it's you. Whereas a, an actual photograph is only that one person. Right. Yeah. And so with, with mouse, I think additionally switching them to animals makes them you know, every person, you know, and, and also who you are a little more easily, but still allows there to be a difference. Like you are art and you are his father yeah, and, and you are, you know, you're, you're anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have some samples of this art, uh, in the show notes, but it's not just that they're mice. I mean, this is very simplified. If there wasn't, uh, the distinct voices of these characters, I don't know that I could always tell apart from the drawings. <laughs> Right. Who each character was. Yeah, they all they all do look really similar. Um, the eyes. I mean, just one thing that stands out to me in the artwork is these eyes that are all essentially black dots, in in the similar way that like uh, like in a, some of Rembrandt's um, self portraits, he draws his eyes as just single black dots, um, and then uh, this gets uh, again. I mean. <laughs> as we rush forward through art history <laughs> that we see in uh, like the Tintin comics, which are, again, they're just these simple black dots for eyes. And yet somehow through like black magic that with which this book is infused, uh, those black dots of eyes are able to express more emotion than like the, the most advanced expensive CGI that is available today. <laughs> I mean, it just is, it's unbelievable to me and I don't know how it works. Like I'll stare at these images and I'm thinking, I know what emotion those two black dots are expressing. Um, and it's not because of the words on the page and it's not because of anything except that there's something in the, it's unbelievable and, and totally impossible to describe, but, um, but it's, but the, the effect is real and (laughs) it's mind blowing to me. I was just um, kind of flipping through uh, this volume one, and um, one thing that stood out is uh, at the end when he, the the end of the historical narrative where he's talking about heading to Auschwitz. That is one of the most detailed pages. Like it, it's cross hatched in a way, right. like it, it just stands out with a sense of dread and foreboding, and in a way that this entire historical narrative, which has had so much horror in it, he manages to make the gates of Auschwitz look even worse. Right. Um, and that, and that again, I think it's playing into our consciousness because we have never heard of any of these places, but all of us have heard of Auschwitz. And, yeah. and it, it, I mean, they are, the gates of Auschwitz are the gates of hell. 
and there's there's a powerful there's something powerful deep in our psyche uh, a powerful fear of Auschwitz I think and even if you hadn't I mean somehow you were ignorant of Auschwitz and everything that that carried you get hints of it throughout yeah. the story of these whispers of uh, what happens to Jews who are being sent to Auschwitz and uh, and disbelief from the Jews who are hearing these stories They're like that that can't be true. Uh, and others say, no, no, it is true. I, I, you know, I heard it from so-and-so and it's coming through these grapevines into these ghettos and, um, the, the characters don't quite know what's real and what's not, but they're being filled with a sense of, of terror for Auschwitz and, and they're willing to do anything to avoid being sent, sent there. Like, um, you know, staying in a room with no food literally for a week, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, to, because of everything that they've, uh, they've heard and they, they've built this image, which. Um, you know, we know the historical truth of it now that that, you know, was, was warranted, uh, that, that idea. But at the time, uh, the way it's being presented, it almost became, um, uh, supernatural though, the fear that they seem to be getting embedded with, uh, the name Auschwitz. It's really interesting that, that, that you pulled that away because I was going to say almost the exact opposite, <laughs> oh, really? which is, well, I was just, I was surprised at the kind of frank matter of fact way in which they talked about like, Oh yeah. And then he went and got thrown in the ovens or, and then they went to the gas chambers and we like the, at, at some point, And I, it's not entirely clear here and I don't have enough historical perspective to know at what point, uh, Jews outside of the camps, um, knew what was going on inside of the camps. But the Jews outside of Auschwitz, they knew what was going on inside of Auschwitz. I mean, they had a pretty good idea of it. Um, and it wasn't like the place that shall not be named, which it, which it seems like it could have been, right? We don't talk about, right. we don't talk about what uh-huh. happens in Auschwitz. But they would say, I mean, he'll say like, oh yeah, and then so-and-so went and, um, and then they threw him in the ovens. Or there wasn't enough room in the ovens for all of the people that right. they killed that day. And I remember this, but I also remember the moments where people are like, no, that can't be true. Yeah. Like, so, so I think it's that, is this really happening? Is that really theirs where yeah. I get this, you know, It feels I like, had. I mean, it must have in some, at some moments felt like a dream. Like, a, I mean, like a nightmare, right? Like, right, yeah. Like, like when will we wake up? This cannot be happening. And I love the pacing of this story um, where, I mean, it takes us 160 pages to get to the gates of Auschwitz. And they've been through a lot already, just trying to not be there. Um, And I think sometimes, and this isn't the fault of, of any writer or director it's just it's just the nature of uh, the medium uh, uh, in a lot of ways but i think sometimes we get the impression that all the jews were just kind of living their lives uh in in uh germany and poland and then one day they get a knock on the door and it's a gestapo and they get thrown in on a train and then they're in auschwitz and maybe that was the case for some people but uh this story is a story of this prolonged horrifying uh attempt to get away from this place where um it feels like destiny i mean it's their destiny like they they're headed there we know that they're headed there and in some ways it kind of seems like they know that they're headed there but it takes them a long time to get there and it's agonizing to see them try to escape and find these moments of peace and if they would just stay in that house and not try to go to hungry this whole story ends differently 
I don't know, but, but there's something about the pacing that feels right. Yeah, there's um, what you're saying. Um, it, rem- it reminded me of uh, a page where um, Anya is like ready to give up and saying, you know, just let me die. Uh, all the struggle's not worth it. And Vodek says, uh, no, darling, to die, it's easy, but you have to struggle for life until the last moment. We must struggle together. I need you. And then Spiegelman does a really interesting thing where that is all drawn in the past narrative. And then there's one frame that is suddenly the, you know, the older um, Vodek, which the main signifier we have that it's an older one is that he's wearing glasses. And it's, like you said, it's these two black dots and it just looks so sad and forlorn. And he says, you'll see that together we'll survive. That's what I, uh, this always I told to her. So you'll see that together we'll survive. This always I told to her. This this kind of sad and plaintive look uh, in this in this simple drawing. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, this is the story of that struggle to live. I mean, if, for example, well, not, yeah, oh, well yeah. just talking about pacing, uh, for example, Life is Beautiful is one of my favorite films of all time, so please do not read this as any criticism because I think that there's nothing to criticize in that film. <laughs> it is beautiful start to finish. But at the end of that film, when the little boy hides and they clear out the, the camp that he's in, and I know that this is a different point in history, uh, but the boy like hides in a box, and it seems like you know a night, and then the place is cleared out, and then the American soldiers come in. Uh, when they clear out the ghettos in Mouse, it's a week that they're in a bo- essentially in a box. All of these people, they have no food. They're gnawing on wood for a week waiting for the soldiers to stop banging around trying to find hidden Jews. And uh, it's just – it's uh, uh, it, uh, it breaks me up. But it's really uh, – it's just a different because – because the genre is different, I think that there, he's able to do things with pacing and the way that he tells the story that gives us insight into things that we don't get in 90-minute uh, films. All right. Real quick, uh, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask uh, – <laughs> we were talking about the character of Vladek. Uh, what is your sense of him as a person? Uh, both – I'd say – I mean we get two versions of him, the past version of, and then the, the present one that's talking with the son art. I think he's really interesting, and uh, I think that Spiegelman does uh, – towards the end, there's a really interesting conversation where um, he's talking about – he says, my dad is a stereotypical Jew. <laughs> he is so focused on money um, all the time, and we get this in – this is in the in – the, what? I think it's the last chapter. In the, well, in the, in the present frame, right? In right, the frame yeah. where he's interviewing his father – but this is a conversation with his new, with his father's second wife. Yeah, he will. But throughout throughout the book, he's all, he's pulling stuff out of the garbage. He saves everything. He saves everything. He's a total hoarder. And you know, I mean, the readers know, especially readers who have had like uh, grandparents or great grandparents who went through um, the depression, uh, understand that kind of need to hoard things because you never know when you're when you're going to need that thing. He's pulling telephone telephone wire out of the garbage and. Um, and his, uh, so Vladek is, has, uh, on some level, uh, an obsession with money and, and art says, I, I don't know any other way to portray my dad except as a stereotypical Jew and, and Jews have had a bad rap for forever, um, for being sort of miserly and, um, and so there is that. Uh, but he's he's really multifaceted. There's at, at one point, 
um, he's with a, a group of Jews. They're in hiding, and they're trying to decide: is it safe to go out or not? And he says, "I don't, I don't feel like it's safe." And some other people say, "I think we should." And then some people come to him and they say, uh, "We will pay you to advise us on when you think it's safe to leave because we trust you that much." Um, and he is able to save their lives, and and the people that don't listen to him lose theirs. And um, so he he seems to be wise. Uh, he's definitely a survivor. Um, and, and in that moment, he only takes, like, they offer him all these golden uh-huh. jewelry things. He says, I, I took the smallest watch cause I know they wanted to pay me. Yeah. That's what is this? I think that there's a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting things going go on with the economics of like the economics of survival, I think is what I would call it. Uh, where these people are. There is a, there is an economic system surrounding this, and people are bartering things and trading things and um, saving things. He he at one point hides uh, a little bit of the jewelry that he has, and actually after the war goes back to the place where he had hidden it and found, uh, finds it. And um, I I like him as a character. He's he's complex. He seems real and authentic which is a, a word that i've used to describe some other characters that i really like in literature uh he doesn't seem he's not glorified or um like beatified like he's not turned into a saint like oh look at my dad he was perfect uh he's also not vilified he just seems like uh like we said at the very beginning you can hear his voice and you feel like you could walk into a room and meet him and sit down and have a conversation and that it would be really 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 interesting and one thing that i think spiegelman does really well is that the character in the past and the character in the present are not the same person but you can see how the character in the past became the character in the present yeah like the the mannerisms and and you know some of their attitudes are actually kind of different when you look at the very beginning Mm -hmm. when he's just the young man that's living alone in this this polish town and has you know he talks about how many women were after him and all these things uh, <laughs> versus the the you know the the more bitter older one uh, but you can completely see the path even though we're really only giving being given like points A B and then point Z yeah but 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 you're as readers you're able to make all those connections and know that this is the same person yeah and and there there are some things in his character that are not really likable the way that he treats his his second wife is not. Um, laudable i don't think i mean he he their re- relationship is strained at best yes um it's a generous way to put it and he's he's pretty he's pretty horrible to her and she's pretty horrible to him sometimes but um but it doesn't ever make me i'm not i'm never repelled by him uh right. i'm always interested in him i care about him i feel like i'm i'm rooting for him and anya uh I'm really interested in reading the second part of this to find out what happens in Auschwitz. Uh, and, even uh, though I know what happens in Auschwitz, they go, yeah. they have a horrible, miserable time, and then somehow they're able to survive. <laughs> yeah. And but I, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading the second part. And listeners, uh, you can let us know in comments if you would like us to cover the second volume in a specific episode or. You'd prefer that we just move on and talk about other things. <laughs> I mean, there that the, one of the challenges of this podcast is that sometimes we only get one shot at a character, and so you know, like we did Superman, um, and there are so many different versions of Superman. We, I, I imagine that at some point we would go back, but 
but with so many fantastic characters through the ages, it's hard to justify going, you know, dipping from the same well twice mm-hmm. for any reason. So this may be the last that we hear of Wadek on this podcast, maybe ever. I don't know. Um, but it's it's a powerful story. He's definitely a great character. It's definitely a, a great story, and um, I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah, I think we, I mean, we cover a wide range of stories and some stories can just be, uh, you know, well told and very entertaining, but I think this one also carries that kind of historic importance because of the, the quality of the way the story is told, but also what the story is. Yeah. It's, um, just, there's a, there's a guy named Dominic LaCapra. Uh, he was at Cornell and he wrote a lot about trauma and he writes about the difference between acting out trauma and working through trauma. Um, and the, the, it's a really important step to move from acting acting out the same thing over and over again. So you can imagine somebody who's been traumatized and in their mind they just keep replaying the scenes over and over and over and over and over again. And he talks about that one of the reasons that the Shoah literature is so important is that it gives, uh, it gives us an opportunity to kind of take control of that narrative and rather than just act it out over and over and over again to kind of take control of, of that story and turn it into something, um, uh, something different uh, and, and to work through that trauma. Um, and this, this is maybe uh, it's one of the best examples that I've ever seen of that where he takes what is his father's story um, and he's true to his father's story. But he also takes control of his father's story and is able to turn it into um, a, a cohesive story that's a that's life affirming and positive and beautiful. Um, and I, I think it's exactly what Lacapa is talking about when he talks about the shift of acting out um, from acting out to working through. So that's my uh, literature class for the day. All right. Well, I think that's as good a point as any to to wrap up. Fantastic. So that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can subscribe to The Protagonist in iTunes, and we would also encourage you to leave a review there if you like what you hear. Uh, Those reviews really help us out. Uh, You can find links to everything we've talked about uh, in this episode, along with a list of all of our shows at protagonistpodcast.com. If you want to suggest a character for us to talk about or comments about the podcast, you can send us an email at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com, or you can find us on Twitter. We are at protagonistpod. You can also find us each on Twitter. I'm at Todd K. Mack. He's at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And a special thanks to Andrew today for helping us with pronunciation of uh, obscure, well, not obscure, obscure for us, (laughs) of uh, uh, some challenging Polish words. Uh, Also, please like our Facebook fan page called Protagonist Podcast. Uh, We love any comments, corrections, or interaction. And finally, if you uh, are enjoying this podcast and you would like to support us, you can go to our webpage, protagonistpodcast.com, click on the support uh, button, and it will take you to our Patreon page. And It's very easy. It takes just a few seconds, uh, minutes, tops, uh, and you can support us and we can continue doing uh, our best work here. Uh, You can also just go straight to patreon.com slash protagonist. And uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long.
No pens. I've always got these. Pop it now. 